You're listening to Trek FM. There was a little bar in Mill Valley where all the Starfleet trainees used to go. The 602 Club. You know it. <laughs> I was there more times than I can remember. Welcome everyone to Trek FM's local watering hole. I hope you guys are ready. We've got a great show for you. We're just here to talk some things geeky. Um, get yourself a great drink, pull up a chair, wherever you are, whether you're listening in the car, uh, at work, in bed because you can't sleep, whatever. Um, I've got some great friends here with me just to talk some some Daredevil. We're going to talk Marvel's Daredevil, which just released not too long ago on Netflix. And with me tonight, Daniel. Daniel, great to have you back. And I, I'm sorry, I, wait, is that Lex Luthor? I, I must have, folks, you can't see this, but this person doesn't have... Well, yeah, he is quite bald, like Lex Luthor. Yes. Actually, I'm I'm here to buy some art. Um, I would like uh, just a just a white painting with some texture on it, if you have it here. It makes him feel lonely. It does. Yeah. yeah. We're fresh out. Um, this guy uh, named Fisk just bought the last one. Sorry, man. Uh, eh, what can you do? Yeah. But my guess is, yeah. I mean, you could fight him for it, but. <laughs> Yeah, I wouldn't recommend. I won't. It. I won't win. Yeah. <laughs> it's okay. Yeah, <laughs> you'll end up in pieces in the river. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, a lot of pieces over a week, just dumped in the river, like Dexter. Uh, <laughs> so, as you can tell, guys, we've got Andy back with us. Andy, it's so good to have you here on the Six Hundred Two Club. I'm glad that I I don't have to uh, fight about Iron Man this time with Daniel. I was a little worried we would start Civil War early last time, but we made it through, and now we can talk about a totally different superhero. That is true. Well, you know, you guys are in luck, too. I mean, you Marvel fans, uh, they moved Pan, the film, uh, and uh, to the fall because they wanted to have a, a, a more open space um, to, to breathe, basically, and not be kind of stuck in with uh, the big summer blockbusters and just get lost. So... Instead of doing that show that week, we're going to continue with the Marvel retrospective that we've been doing. We started with um, the Iron Man film, and we're going to do The Incredible Hulk. So bear with us for that. <laughs> oh, come on. I still say we skip it, but I keep it's getting overruled. That bad. Oh, all right. Well, that's the thing, and that's the thing, is that I haven't seen the movie since it came out, and I want to give it a fair shake, and like we do here on the 602, I don't want to go into hating something for the sake of hating, um, and so I want to watch it with fresh air eyes, and I'm hoping to be surprised. Um, that's how I'm going in, so hopefully that's what will happen, but um, wanted to touch on something before we got started on the show a uh, lot of trailers got dropped last week. Apparently, it was trailer week um, because we got Star Wars, Batman versus Superman, uh, Ant Man has come out. Uh, we got the Fantastic Four trailer. Uh, there, uh, it's like trailer mania. And so, since we were doing a Marvel property, just kind of wanted to touch on the fact that last week it was Fantastic Four, and just see what you guys were thinking about that because this is a brand new take on the the Fantastic Four franchise, which is not a bad thing, uh, especially with those first two films um, for me. So what do you guys think of uh, of this new look, especially since we've finally got a look at the thing? No, <laughs> we get a look. <laughs> we get a look at the naked thing 
because he's definitely not wearing shorts the entire time. That is true. That is true. <laughs> Although it may, why would he wear shorts? Is there I, anyway? I, that, this is a family show. I don't know. Yeah, I, yeah. I don't, I don't know, but uh, you know, hey, in the, the new Marvel. In in the, in the Avengers and stuff and, and the Incredible Hulk, he wears shorts still. So I don't know. It's I guess there's still a thing. There's still a thing. Well, well. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Can we name that the show? Yeah. There's still a thing. <laughs> um. Yeah. What's to say? Uh. You know. Meh. Okay. Like I'll I'll watch it for sure. Like the first two were dumb, but inoffensive to me. Uh. You know the Fantastic Four is just. Not my bag. It's just to me. It's just kind of a, it, you know, kind of silly, kind of lame, yeah, kind of baby, dopey. Not my bag. <laughs> it's not my bag, baby. I swear. I, I mean, I, I was excited in the trailer when I when I saw uh, Kate Mara because I have a bit of a crush on her from House of Cards. Um, yeah, who doesn't? But so, but then of course she's the Invisible Woman, so you only get to see her half the time, anyways. So it's like okay, that's that's true. I'd um, say the casting is just about the only thing that was super super exciting about this movie from the beginning for me. Really, like even the Reed Richards guy, because I don't buy that for one second. Well, Miles Teller did just get nominated for an Oscar, so at least we know he can act. I don't know anything about his acting. I've never seen any him in anything. So yeah, well, you would have seen him sitting at the Oscars, almost yeah. winning an Oscar. <laughs> Um. I suggest that you go watch um, The Spectacular Now, which may be one of the best movies in the last 10 years. I love that film. And then, of course, Whiplash, which is just fantastic. Both of those he's incredible in. And I mean incredible. Um, and so, obviously, because he almost won an Oscar for his role in Whiplash. So the kid can act. And this is definitely the ultimate Fantastic Four, where they're younger and, and a little bit more vibrant um, and so I, I kind of like that, you know, it, again, the same thing that they're doing in the DC universe where they're differentiating themselves from what came before and doing something different, you know, kind of need to do that. I think with the fantastic four and obviously as well, if it does well, it's a good film. It gives them the opportunity to have a long run of movies, hopefully, you know, three or four, because these, these people can grow into their roles and continue to be them for for quite a while. Well, uh, you don't get much more different in casting than Michael Chiklis versus Jamie Bell. So they definitely... This is uh, true, yeah. They definitely changed it up a little. I'm really excited to see Michael B. Jordan as... Um, Johnny Storm. The Human Torch. Yes, Johnny Storm. Because he's basically one of the awesomest actors on the planet, and I've been waiting for him to break out for a long time. He's deserved it since he was like 14 and being amazing on The Wire. Um, so I'm just super excited to see him be in a, a big, awesome movie. Um, and hopefully this movie is really good and then everyone will realize how awesome he is and put him in everything so I can watch it. Now, am I mistaken? If I remember correctly, my, of course, you know, guys, we, we're all, we're all familiar that there's uh, so much comic book movie news information going around at this point. So I could have been confused. But they're sticking this. This is now officially in universe with uh, X Men, right? Is it, it, they're they're putting them together in a shared thing. There is that true? Am I am I remembering that correctly or not? Daniel, there have been some rumblings that uh, the F- Fantastic Four and the X Men will will be in the in the same universe and that they will be able to cross over somehow. And so there's definitely been those rumblings. There's nothing official. It doesn't look oh, like. Okay. Um, out there but um, it's definitely something that we could see happening and um, you know 
I think it would make sense. Um, and so with all of that, but who knows? And I think it would be really great um, to see, especially if if this Fantastic Four crew does well. I mean, the X-Men films obviously are doing well. Um, you know, Days of Future Past, I, I was a huge fan of personally. And then, of course, of course, First Class was excellent. And so, um, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd like to, you know, hopefully see maybe something like that happen. Who knows? Uh, you know, not every team needs to team up together. That's just me personally. Um, but, uh, you know, I think I don't know what to expect from this trailer. Or I don't really have any expectations for the film. So I think I'm in a great place to actually like it when it comes out. And I'm trying to keep it that way. And so, so far what I've seen is that at least the story looks interesting. The effects look great. Um, and, you know, hopefully putting all that together with, you know, some people that I do know can act like Kate Morrow from House of Cards and, and Jamie Bell and Miles Teller. And, and I mean, all these people can act. So that's fantastic. Hopefully they've just given us something great to do. So, um, yeah, here's to hoping that it is a great movie and it's really enjoyable. And, um, you know, it does seem to be the thing these days to take everything and make it a little bit more grounded and a little bit more, quote-unquote, realistic. Um, Unless you're Guardians of the okay. Galaxy, right? Yeah, and I mean, <laughs> how do you make that yeah, talking tree realistic? Right. Uh, you just don't. It's and totally so, realistic. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm I mean, serious. It's totally realistic to think that aliens could have evolved in a, a different way oh yeah sure i think tree people make total sense and i'm being completely serious lord of the rings fan over here huh all right yeah all right. Uh, yeah i'm okay with talking trees <laughs> i have no problems with them so yeah i think this is great i'm i'm excited to see that um well as we jump into daredevil a lot of the questions have been okay when are we going to see daredevil again just released today uh, as we were recording they are already ordering season two of daredevil which is fantastic and uh, actually should be out sometime next year so that's pretty fantastic um because uh this show has been very well received by people and i'm not surprised because i i just remember it come, uh, when it you know first got online on netflix everybody was already asking when are we going to get season two um and well, we've got the answer now, folks, so everybody can just relax, rest easy, it's coming. What did you guys first think, uh, just seeing this, you know, it's on Netflix now, it's a 13 episode, it's basically like a 13 hour movie, because all the episodes really play together, um, it's, it's made for Netflix in the same way that House of Cards is made for Netflix, it's meant to be one long continuous story it's meant to kind of be binged on um so first impressions of daredevil as a series i started out not entirely impressed with it which i could see right away from the reaction on twitter mostly that i was alone in that <laughs> that everyone pretty much loved it right away um it was only about hmm halfway through when i really started to get on board um the episode eight um episode called Shadows in the Glass, which is basically the first episode we get that's centered around Fisk instead of Matt Murdock. And that's when I was really like, oh, okay, 
they're telling me they're teaching me something and telling a story that I haven't seen very much before because up until then I really felt like it was it was basically Arrow but with a less clear motivation for Matt Murdock because you walk into Arrow and it may be silly but they have given Oliver Queen a very a very specific goal and a very obvious reason for that goal whereas Matt Murdock I was like okay so why is he fighting crime he just likes punching people he does so so it <laughs> so in the last episode you were kind of expecting uh Daredevil to approach uh Wilson Fisk and say Wilson Fisk you have failed this city I expected that from the first episode I was like <laughs> why hasn't why hasn't he told someone he's failed the city yet because I mean they do have very similar premises you and, have you know, failed this city <laughs> They do have very similar premises. You know, you have a, a a person that has, like, put on a mask to go and, like, fight for their city, vigilante style. Um, and it, it, it does have a darker tone than a lot of the Marvel stuff we've seen on TV so far. And um, it's shot totally differently. And it's it's just a different... It's a different TV show from the rest of the Marvel TV shows. Um, it's it's well, more it's good, like Arrow. Is what you're saying. <laughs> it, it, the thing is, is it's good. On the look of the show, you can tell this show has a lot of money to pour into itself. One, it's only 13 episodes long. But two, you can tell that Marvel is putting its money where its mouth is when it comes to these Netflix shows. And that they're shooting them in a style that is is like and mimics a film and not TV. Oh, it's um, gorgeous. Yeah. It, the production think, value is stunning. Yeah. It's it's beyond anything that we've seen on TV, and that's because they have more time and they have more money. You know, and and you know, not to get too far off the rails here, but one of the other things that really like, not that this was an Arrow original idea, of course, but the the, the flashbacks that we get, um, very much were reminiscent to me of of Arrow and how how that whole thing worked out as well. And I've just got to say, like, man, uh, you know, we're talking here about Netflix and Marvel, and it's like. A Venn diagram of everything that that works really well. Sometimes, I mean, you know, of course, Netflix has not had a hundred percent success rate. Neither has Marvel. But the fact that you put these two companies together, it's it's it was almost like it would be really hard for them to fail at the at you know at this point. We you throw this kind of money and these kind of talent at something like this. Uh, but you know, my my initial impressions were, uh, you know, of course, when you're watching the the first episode there and. More importantly, in, in my mind, is the second episode, which is really kind of where it kicks off and, and sets the real tone, I think. But uh, it's just, uh, you're, you're right, it's not, it's it's nothing like Marvel has done before, that's for sure. And it's not like, really, except for kind of how we're explaining here with the Arrow, but it's not very much like a lot of superhero television that we're getting nowadays either. I think that's why it took me until episode eight to really be on board. I mean, I liked it before that. I thought it was good. I thought it was entertaining. I thought it was well done. But it was episode eight where they really fleshed out Fisk. And the reason that I, you know, having such a strong villain and a villain that had very clear motivation and has acted so well and like so engaging. That's when I was like, yeah, this is totally different than from what I've seen from a lot of other shows. And that's when I was like, okay, now I'm on board with everybody else. Let's let's cheer about Daredevil now. I think um, I'm a little bit like you, Andy. It, it took me a while to like just figure out the show, like to, to feel, okay, okay, I kind of get this now. And I think 
part of it is that I have been, I mean, I've been watching Arrow for three years now. Um, I've obviously been watching all of Flash this season. You know, I've seen how Gotham does things. You know, I'm used to how people do, I'm, I've been watching, and I still watch, even though it's still sitting on my DVR, and I forgot it was even there, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. <laughs> um, but I've been watching all these things and how we do comic book shows on TV. And, of course, I, I was you know, I'd say born and raised because I was too old at that point, but I was raised on comic book TV with um, Smallville as well. And so kind of know how you do superheroes on TV. And I think that's the real difference here is that we're doing superheroes on Netflix as if we were doing them in a film and and not on TV. It's, It's a lot more epic. It's... And, and this has the same, you know, kind of style as a House of Cards or kind of like a Mad Men. It's more, it, it's slower. It, it's plotting. It's, it's building things. It's simmering slowly. It's like you're sitting in a crock pot. You're, you're not, you know, on a, a flash fryer here. Um, and, you know, I've I'm, I'm been used to that, especially with Arrow and Flash, where things just pop. They just happen real quick. And that's just not how this show worked. This show is much more like it's an entire saga from episode 1 to episode 13, much like House of Cards is on Netflix. So, you know, it, it's funny for me, too, because I think I had a hard time with this show because some of the things about the villain are very reminiscent from some of the things in Arrow, uh, especially season 2 with Sebastian Blood, in fact, in fact Fisk's backstory is very much the same. Um, he killed his father. He, uh, you know, kind of hides away his mother from everyone. So there's a lot of similarities, and I'd be like, oh, I kind of already seen this. And he just wasn't clicking with me as an actor either. And I think that's what took me longer to get into that side. But on the other side, I, I love the guy. I love Charlie Cox playing Matt Murdock. And I really, really um, enjoyed Deborah Wall playing um, Karen Page. And so those are the two characters that kind of gripped me right away. And they kept me going. And it, it, I think it, you know, it, it, the first impression wasn't the last impression for me. It didn't stay the same, which is, which is always great for, for any show or film. Is that it leaves you with a different impression once it's over. And I like it when that different impression is better. <laughs> well, I mean, this is basically prestige drama comic book story. I mean, it's mm-hmm. the way it's told and, and the, the quality of the shooting. It looks like it belongs on HBO. Um, so that's a different, definitely a different like vibe. I just think it's interesting, Matthew, that we basically reacted the exact opposite and that it took me a while to be on board with Matt Murdock and Karen Page because I thought yeah, they were the yeah. most boring part. And then that flipped a little bit as, as I got to know them better and they became more fleshed out as characters, whereas Fisk, to me, right away made sense. Yeah, and I think that's the great thing about this show is that I do think that there's different ways for different types of people to be grabbed, and that's what that's also what makes a you know just a good show or a good film is that it can grab people in different ways and carry you along until maybe you pick up the other pieces. I really like Fisk, um, but growing up in the '90s, I, I I was you know my 
version of Kingpin is the 90s uh, Spider-Man cartoon version of Kingpin, who is very, very uh, not this version of Kingpin. He's extreme. I mean, of course, he's a giant man, and he's and he's set, he he's very assured of who he is, and he's very, very powerful from the start. Um, that was the only version of, of Kingpin that I had been exposed to, really. I mean, of course, you know, I guess I'll be the first one to bring it up uh, in the in the in the. The Daredevil movie, we get Michael Clark Duncan, uh, who is obviously a fantastic back actor, but that movie leaves a bit to be desired. Um, but just a but, bit, yeah. <laughs> but um, so like I'm like really sp- I, so you guys are like on the extremes, but I'm like right in the middle where it's like I like half of what they do with 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 Fisk, and then the half of it I'm like, eh, okay. I mean like I, I like it is interesting and it's compelling. Uh, but there were times when I was like, uh, okay, I wish you were doing something else. I actually really agree with you, Daniel, because that character, even in the end, I feel like he's he's a very weak villain. Like, um, he he comes off as weak. He's He's shown as kind of being weak. And just this basically kind of comes off as a little insecure fat boy still. Um, as w- and, and that's what he's portrayed as. And I'm I'm not being derogatory. That's who he's portrayed as in in the um, series as well. And he's still dealing with those issues. It's like, bro, grow a pair and just be a man and live. You know, because like he's all wishy washy about what he's doing and whether or not he's really the villain. And my wife and I are sitting there when he's having that conversation about whether he's really the villain, whether or not all the things he's done makes him the bad guy. And we're like. Yeah, yeah, it does. <laughs> and any of your rationalizations for why you're not is just a lie to yourself. So I, I, yeah, like what that that was the, my biggest off-putting thing. Like for whatever reasons, which they which they try to show, um, his, his insecurities just kind of don't mesh with that type of character for me. Uh, like I understand that it, it's more, it might be more humanizing. It might be more, but but this is a larger than life kind of character. This 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 is like a. This is like Al Capone on steroids, right? That's what this is yeah, supposed exactly. to be. And you would not expect Al Capone to go through these kinds of emo, whiny yeah, adolescence, baby almost cry sessions. Like, like these kinds of issues. Like he wouldn't, maybe he would make mistakes still. That's fine. But like the fact that he's so unsure of himself at any point, I feel like in all of the episodes, he's like really just never knows where he is. And, 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 and he's actually constantly having characters remind him of this that's his whole arc is like uh you know the 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 woman who runs the cocaine ring she's like constantly like listen you need to you you just you need to do something you need to you need to make take care of things and 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 fix all this and and he never gets to do it i feel like and if this is like long form and maybe they'll bring him back in season two or season three or whatever and like then he'll turn into that character that's actually a really cool idea and a very interesting kind of backdrop and then we get the really but I was never intimidated really by Fisk and I felt like that was the missing element of it so from mama's boy to badass is what you're saying yeah yeah for sure sure yeah absolutely okay okay yeah I'm trying to think of a way I could disagree with both of you more and (laughs) it's it's not happening um I, I disagree so much I mean for me it was like this amazing character study of what brings What brings some, how someone comes to these decisions and why they make those decisions. And when he does, he's, he keeps control of himself so much that when he does break down and like exhibit such 
violence to me it's terrifying i i'm sorry i i totally disagree for me i that was the most important and interesting part of the show for me is like unpeeling and unpacking this character and why he is the way he is and how he's relating to other people and just this realization he has that (laughs) that that last scene where he's in he's in fbi custody and he just freaks out and he's like i am the ill intent i mean i had goosebumps all over i was just like Oh my God, this guy is terrifying. And he has moments like that before. When he kills that Russian brother, I mean, seriously, his head became pulped. And that didn't scare you guys? No, see, that's, I, that was, that was, that's exactly like, so I love the end scene when he's in that, like, when he's like realizing what he is. And that's why I said if there's more, maybe we'll get something better. But the when he's like, when he like smashes this guy, you know his head just explodes. It's like it's like he's throwing a tamper a temper tantrum, and I'm like, I, I, why are you doing this? This is not helping you. He's literally shooting himself in the foot in that scene, and like he's supposed to be this brilliant criminal mastermind, and he, and he's letting this passion and anger get the best of him. And if that was the only time that it happened in the whole show, I would have no problem with it. Like of course, maybe once in a while that you would kind of lose your you know your your mind about it but it's like it, that's him that's his constant reprogression of just like okay i get myself into a pickle now i don't know what to do i'm gonna spaz out i'm gonna flip my table i'm gonna do whatever i have to do i liked the ending part because it was this calm realization of no now i know what i am now i know exactly I'm where the i am well but that was what it is the whole thing is a character study of both matt murdoch sure. realizing yeah. who he is and kingpin realizing who he is the whole thing is an origin story told over 13 episodes the difference being we usually only see the hero's origin story in this case we are seeing kingpin's origin story at the same time and that's why i thought it was so interesting and the fact that they actually have very similar goals but just totally different ways of approaching it and totally different experiences and why does you know similar experiences send matt murdoch down one road and this fist guy down another road i that's what i thought the whole point of the show was did i did i take that wrong no i think you're right andy i think uh, the, the the show in some senses is two men in a city um i mean we could uh, we were joking before we could have named the show two men a city in a pizza place um but more like very, CD bar. Yeah, CD exactly. bar. There we go. Um, but it is. It is. It is the. It is a juxtaposition of two men who love a city and one who has no faith and who wishes to control everything um, as if he's God, and another one who has faith and who wishes to save the city from this evil that he's seeing going on at even the cost of his life, setting him up as the savior character, even though. Everybody kind of keeps calling him the devil of Hell's Kitchen, which is so funny because, you know, the whole, I think the whole, the biggest theme of this whole series is which one is the actual devil. You know, which one will actually play the devil and which one will be, you know, the savior. And obviously we know in the end, Daredevil turns out to be the savior and and Kingpin chooses finally to man up and be the, the villain. Um, and I thought that that is a really interesting storyline. 
I just would have liked it better if I liked the actor playing Kingpin. I do not like him at all. I think he was completely off, um, and he never reaches the the emotion that he does need when he needs it. Like, he doesn't have any range. Like, he's kind of one note the whole time, and he's either just kind of yelling or he's he's reserved, but there's no great in-between that I feel like that character would really have, especially because I feel like he'd need to be somebody who's really good at hiding his emotions until he, like, blows up um, to, to get where he's been. Like, and I don't think he's... I just don't feel like that actor pulls off the role at all, and that's what really frustrated me. The actual storyline, like you're talking about, Andy, I think it is really interesting. It's the actor for me that doesn't pull it off, and that's what hurt the storyline. And see, for me, I, I think it all hinged on Vincent D'Onofrio being amazing. So <laughs> this is one of the few moments I think we can point to, Matthew, in which we totally disagree. That doesn't happen very often. That's okay. I mean, well, and that's what's <laughs> great. Like, And I, I'm glad, though, that, you know, we're having the disagreement because it's it's even in the end I still like the show you still like the show we just have a, a, a great different opinion and I think that there are going to be plenty of opinions about this show because it doesn't it, it doesn't have that easy grab you know um, we were talking about arrow earlier it doesn't have that easy grab um, where you know exactly what you're gonna get when you go in and and all of that this is this is very complexly layered drama and that is again different than a lot of the the superhero shows that we've been getting on tv not necessarily films because i i personally think that that's what they're going for in man of steel is more a complexly driven character type piece than just the fun romp but yeah that that's what i think sets this apart in a lot of ways is it it is much more drama driven than it is like, um, well, we're just going to do a lot of cool special effects type stuff and and a lot of fun comic booky things. I like the actor. Um, I, I've actually never seen him before in anything else. Um, I know you what? guys. What? I know. Yes, I know. you have. It's a- yes, you have. You just don't know it. Yeah, you've seen him you, in uh, Men in Black. You've seen him in Men in wait Black. A minute, wait a minute. Who is he in Men in he, Black? He, he, he's he the plays villain. Edgar. He plays Edgar. Are you kidding me? That just blows yeah. same dude. Yeah, mind. The other thing That's, that you've yeah, definitely and in fact, seen he in, in plays his it Full like he Metal plays Jacket. I've never seen Full Metal Jacket, so what? Um, my but, my mind is currently blown. But, but okay. I can, I can quote you, Edgar from Men in Black. I'll take some uh, sugar water. Anyways, sugar. anyways, um, Ed, sugar water. <laughs> um, I know Edgar. He must have. <laughs> and that wasn't he must Edgar. have like, well, man, he blew up because that guy was relatively slim, right? And he, not, he's he's a bigger dude. Well, he was a big guy. He just wasn't. He's that been getting large. Uh, yeah, he, bigger it's... since he been on Law and Order, and just. Oh, gee, okay. Well, maybe I, I guess he they... sit around a lot on Law and Order. Okay. <laughs> no, dude, Daniel, trust me when I say that you you have seen this actor in many many things. You just didn't realize. That's it. funny. He's okay. a chameleon. So uh, I actually I think he's a good actor. Um, and I think he, especially in this series, obviously not 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 as Edgar and Men in Black, but in the series, he like he he does have this physicality that I think uh, Kingpin should have. Like, very intimidating dude. Like when he actually like well, like the the scene we get when he fights uh, Daredevil, bef- you know, not in the last episode, but before that, uh, really good, really solid. You believe this man can crush this guy that has these super be- like super abilities, and you're like, I would not want to fight this dude. 
Um, but, but like in most of his, he looks too vulnerable. He looks like he's apologizing all the time for like everything that's going on. I don't know what it is. If it's like his face, his eyebrows or what, but I'm like, I'm always like, like if I met you on the street, I wouldn't be intimidated by you. I mean, if I saw you smash some guy's head in the car door, then yeah, of course I'd be intimidated by you. But like, he, he doesn't have that presence all the time. Like he has it sometimes, but he doesn't hold that presence constantly that I think is necessary for a character that's that larger than life. And see, I thought that was part of why I liked him so much because he was this like silent threat throughout the city that nobody was realizing that he was even there until Matt Murdock steps up and basically pushes him into the light. He's just like this quiet, constant threat that has been slowly taking over New York. I wanted to ask you guys something uh, because I did, I really do think this interesting. That the the this whole show has this kind of spiritual undertone to it because Matt Murdock keeps visiting this um this priest in in the show, and it has probably been a very long time for me that I've seen a, a priest in in the Catholic Church kind of portrayed in a, in a positive light, and I really liked that here that we were treating religion with with some serious respect and that these men of clergy have something wise to speak into our lives. Um, and it was creating this whole spiritual undertone for what's happening in the city. Um, you know, that there's a lot of, there are a lot of different layers to what's going on. And of course we are talking about the, the whole, you know, the devil aspect and all of this and which one of them is going to be the devil. And I just, again, that's just a whole other layer to this show that I really, really liked. And it was kind of similar for me um, for Superman for Tomorrow, um, where, or of course in Man of Steel where he visits the priest as well. But in both of those places, the, the comic and then in the film, Superman visits a priest uh, for advice as well. So I just liked it to see, and, and for me personally, faith portrayed positively. And I thought that that just added a whole great layer because it really helped us understand exactly what was keeping Murdoch from wanting to cross the line of killing somebody. You know, it is his morality um, that's based firmly in something that a lot of people around the world can completely understand. And I just really liked that because I thought that made that that battle for Matt's soul much more um, compelling and realistic because we really do understand, even if we're not somebody of faith, we probably know somebody who is and can can kind of see where that battle can come from. Doing some reading after the fact, uh, Matt Murdock's Catholicism is extremely important to him. Um, and, of course, as the driving factor of the show, we, we, we get exposed to a lot of it. Um, but to me... It, it, it only comes across as important to him. It, I don't think, that, I, I mean, I, to me, it's, it never was a super integral part of what I was interested in. Uh, and of course, that's personal preference. But um, if we're talking about actors who, who don't necessarily gel, I didn't like the priest. I don't think he comes across as the kind of wise, uh, kind of world-weary person that would know, that would have this this sort of wisdom about him that, that we're, expected to believe he is um so his scenes fall totally flat for me especially his big scene when he's talking about uh you know going and and dealing with these mercenaries and 
uh, and doing this missionary work. And it, like, I just felt like that scene was really long and really drawn out. And uh, the story was, 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 isn't, wasn't really effective for me. It didn't, I, I don't really see why that, but of course, like I said, doing some research, uh, what really motivates uh, Matt Murdock and a lot of what he does is his guilt and which kind of stems from, from his religious beliefs, which is, which I can see is a very motivating factor for this guy. Like he, he feels he has a job to do uh, and then he knows he shouldn't, I mean, necessarily that's not the right thing to do, but sometimes you've got to, you've just got to do what you've got to do. And that's what he, that's kind of how he feels. Uh, but it wasn't, Honestly, it was not ever in the forefront of my mind when I was watching the show, only because it impacts only one character, even though it is the, the you know, the title character. It, it wasn't ever anything that I really, really thought too, too much about. I get to disagree with you again. All right, yay! <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we are going to start Civil War early. I know, right? <laughs> um, no, I mean, I I really enjoyed that actor, and I really enjoyed those scenes just because... For so much of most of the first season, this is the only guy that Matt Murdock is confiding in in any way. And the only way we get to see kind of what's going on underneath his stoic demeanor and like the pain he's in. So I actually really liked those scenes because they helped they helped flesh out this guy for me who I didn't have much of a sense of, of up until then. Um, and so I enjoyed kind of seeing him wrestle with, you know, all these big existential uh questions and being able to talk it out with someone that he he can trust uh which is really helpful especially since it's pretty far in before you know any of his friends family people he loves kind of come into the secret um which has always been by the way one of my least favorite things about superhero secret identities I mean, how long is it going to go between before Barry tells Iris oh, he's the Flash? Don't bring up Iris. Just don't bring <laughs> up Iris. She's not allowed to talk about ever. Oh, and I mean, how long did it take before Thea Queen knew who <sighs> Oliver was? This is ridiculous. It's yes. just stupid. Yeah. And I'm really glad and I'm really hoping that Kara knows very quickly that Matt is Daredevil because it doesn't make sense that he wouldn't tell them. And I just think it's cliched and done to death. I will say that the one that the one line that I loved from the pre, the priest was like when he finally decides, kind of like, "Yeah, I'm gonna tell you, I'm gonna tell you," and the, and he's like, "Do you know what I do, right?" And he's like, "I'm not an idiot, Matt. Like, yeah. I can totally <laughs> tell what you're doing. I love that. I thought that was great." Well, I mean, to be fair, and this has always bothered me because this show is so grounded. Why would he wear an an eyeless mask? Like, isn't that kind of giving away your whole game? I always thought, like, I don't, like, I don't know. If I saw that... Just, get, put, just put some eyes in it. I know, but, I, you know, somebody <laughs> somebody else said that, too. And, and I always thought that, like, I don't know. You, you see somebody with, like, this... It almost looks kind of a sheerish material over their eyes. I would think you'd still be able to see through it. Maybe not, maybe I, not excellently, but who knows? Like, I wouldn't... My immediate thought wouldn't go to... Oh, this guy is blind and has super vision, super hearing, smelling powers. See, that but gets, like that wouldn't I, like that's absurd to think that that's what you would. He has super smelling powers. No, <laughs> no, to me, like this is okay. 
I mean, Superman, all he does is put on some glasses, right? That is probably our lowest bar. Sure. But this guy, his uh, biggest... Uh, uh, uh. He he combs his hair yeah, he on does the a other side curl. and puts on the yeah. glasses no, no, no. and <laughs> acts unassuming. Therefore, oh, right. people don't recognize him. Oh, that's right. I totally forgot about the unassuming part. You slump those shoulders a little bit? <laughs> No, but I mean, his biggest thing that he has going for him is the ableism of society. Nobody is going to think a blind guy could do any of this. Exactly. He, I know true. that. So, <laughs> some, guy, is, some guy kicks your ass in the alley and, and he's wearing a, a bandana. Is your first thought going to be like, wow, I just got my ass kicked by a blind dude? If I dude. saw him numerous times <laughs> no and he way. had no way to be seeing, and then there was also a super hot jacked Blind guy wandering around Hell's Kitchen talking about justice? And yeah, maybe I would figure that out. Justice? <laughs> I'm sorry. Let me tell like, you about like, justice. <laughs> Put some eye holes in it, no one will ever guess. Uh, so that's a, that, but that's they, I would like to point out that when they finally did the costume... They put eyes in it, so I I will let it go for now. But That, I'm, that I'm really serious. dumb guy, whatever his name was. I like that... Um, you know, you talk about the idea with this the superhero secret identity, and you know, the it is frustrating. I think for us as fans, it's frustrating for people in in the actual properties for a, a lot of the shows um, that we see. But at the same time, there is a real you know danger for those people, and we see that play out a lot. Um, so I I think there's a good reason for it. Um, it just I, I think. You know, after 75 years of Superman and Batman, we've seen it a lot. And I guess we feel like we're beyond it. Except at the same time, if you're really dealing with the reality that you're a superhero and your, you know, family isn't, if people knew that you guys were related, you're going to have an issue. Look, I don't, I don't think that the three of us are like best, best friends. But I'll tell you right now, if I become a superhero, I'm going to tell you. Okay. Okay, because good. I'm I just I don't I get why you would keep it secret from say your enemies. I don't understand why you would keep it secret from someone you pretending your love because that to me is just patronizing. Especially since so many of the time the people that are not let in on the secret are women and the reason they're not let in is cuz we have to protect them and they can never know and that just has shades of just patronizing. <laughs> And and, and that, I agree, like that's totally true. And and but, but what's absurd, like no, I probably wouldn't tell you to. I'm, no offense, guys, but uh, but I would. You better tell me. <laughs> okay, I maybe I would, but but I would I would definitely tell the people that were literally interacting with me every day and interacting with my enemies every day, like th- th- these people that are in this situation where it's like, uh, I don't know, Wilson Fisk already tried to kill her. Why would you not? it's just it's like it's a trope and it's a tired trope and i it's a comic trope and i just think we should leave it behind for the the the, for the live action versions of these well and and i always like it uh, and i especially liked the way that on on a whole they've dealt with it in arrow and flash and that they've organically worked into the story why people get told and how they get told and i think that makes that part actually interesting um and that's what i loved about again, Man of Steel, that she figures it out very quickly because she's freaking Lois Lane. She's a Pulitzer Prize winning, um, you know, journalist. Of course she's going to figure it out. She's not an idiot. Um, and not having her figure it out made her an idiot for all those years. Uh, and so 
yeah, I, I there's a lot there that I agree with, and I think it is just kind of uh, a comic book trope, and I feel like it can be done well, and it cannot be done well here. On a whole, I felt like it was done relatively well because you know when Foggy finds out he's 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 not quite on board with it, you know as uh, some people might not be in your life, and I think that's the other reason heroes don't want to tell their secret is because they don't necessarily um, want that kind of reaction either. They don't want to lose the people that they're closest to that way. So I think there's a lot more ramifications to it than some sort of like we're just being chauvinistic because we're not telling the woman or the guys in our life. There's there's a lot of ramifications for it. But um, yeah. I, I, I actually, uh, I'm glad you mentioned Foggy because I think my favorite episode is the Foggy episode is when he finds the flashbacks. out. Yeah. Oh, I, mm-hmm. I, I, I loved that episode. I thought it was great. Like I, I love the character Foggy. Like I feel like, man, that like he, like he's just a dude that's got your back no matter what. And, and like he's, he's kind of got a heroism like underneath his like smarmy snarky kind of attitude and stuff like that but he he really wants to do well for everybody that's in his life and he he really means well i think most of the time and i think it's important for a character like daredevil to have someone that's kind of real uh in his i agree life. that was a great episode because it really it really made us understand this unlikely friendship and exactly how deep it goes and why why it works so well and I think that chemistry of the actors works really well and they are good foils for each other. And yeah, I really dig that friendship and I really dig that flashback episode. And I really like that they had more than, you know, five minutes for him to deal with this and move on. It took him time to get over this and it took him time to come to, you know, a a piece with it, basically. And that was really helpful because it brought up a lot of extra characterization for both of them and it was absolutely believable that you wouldn't go oh you're a superhero cool like yeah. that's true and i think daredevil has done better than in this than arrow and the flash because i'm sorry but theo queen is running the club above your superhero hideout <laughs> maybe tell her maybe tell well her. and i well i'll answer it real quickly um I think when, uh, on Arrow, when it comes to Thea, Oliver doesn't necessarily always think clearly because it's his little sister, and therefore I think that's the main storyline that's been playing out for three seasons is Oliver trying to protect his sister as much as possible, and whether, and, and that's always been his motivation, is he loves her, he cares for her, he's trying to protect her, and it it's, uh, and he wants to try and create some semblance of like normalcy and life in her life because she's had so much death and everything else that surrounds her um yeah so i i I completely actually understand especially rewatching arrow with my wife we're in season two now and i completely understand why he doesn't tell thea um he he wants her to have some kind of normal life he wants that for his sister what he didn't get and with the storylines that happen, it's just not going to be possible. Um, and I do love that she knows now and that when she found out that it was actually one of the most touching scenes I'd seen in the show. Um, so it ended up paying off well. But that's a whole other show. We're going to talk about Arrow. We should talk about Arrow we, again. We are. We're going to talk about Arrow. So, um, But I wanted to talk about here with Daredevil, the storytelling style. Because 
to me, again, this being very different than anything else we've seen, it it does. It feels like Mad Men meets House of Cards meets Arrow. And it is a dark, visceral, joyless, very realistic, very compelling show. Now, when I say all of that, none of that is, is, a, um, is a condemnation on this show. It's just kind of what it is. Um, I feel like it is very much in the same vein as the Man of Steels and the Arrows and the things that DC is doing these days uh, with those properties as opposed to what Marvel has done so far. And I like it. I think it's great that we kind of have, you know, a more adult, more realistic, more thought-provoking take on these heroes. And I think Daredevil is a perfect place to do that, kind of like the way that Arrow has been for DC. And... Um, yeah, none of that's a condemnation, but man, this is, is visceral. I mean, we talked about that guy getting his head beat in and there are some times when I think maybe the violence is just a little bit too much. Like it, it's, uh, it, because it is, I mean, you, I mean, when somebody gets their, their arm snapped, yeah, yeah, you know, there are times when you see the bone go through. I mean, that's, that is or their or their dark. their head beat in with a bowling ball, right? Like, uh, exactly, exactly. <laughs> we get I a mean, lot of uh, head that, stew on this. Show. Yes, we do. So there's a, there's a lot yes. to unpack there, and there's actually a couple of, of separate issues. One thing, really quick, I, I wanted to mention specifically. Uh, this is when the series won me over, which was much earlier than the two of you. It sounds like, um, and I am not one. Like uh, clearly, you guys know from these conversations we've had tonight. I don't know anything about actors. Like I don't. Most of the time, I'm just like whatever. Right? Clearly, right. But uh, so I don't really I'm not, I'm not like into movies as a craft so much as more. I just like I'm interested in the stories. Um, but I was struck by the season two fights uh, episode two. I did that, too. Oh, yeah. The episode two fight scene where it was one take down the hallway and just falling through the doors and kicking like exhausted after being stabbed and, and just kicking the crap out of everybody and like. And it is it is a much more realistic take on violence in comics, especially as far as Marvel is concerned. Like, you know, mostly we get cartoon, you know, lasers shooting cartoon aliens, and that's okay. That's fun. That's what Marvel does, and it's good. Uh, but it's like, this is a guy. This is a dude. And he does have powers, but it's like, you stab the dude, he's going to bleed. That's what's going to happen. And, and, and he's going to get weak and tired and... and uh, but I, I mean, and, and though it is a, it, it's very violent, and it's extremely kind of, uh, like you said, visceral. I, I would say it's very, very far from from a joyless experience. There's a lot of fun to be had here, uh, in the context of, of the Daredevil world for sure. I have to agree with you about that fight scene, and I think that you are definitely not alone there. Uh, I've seen people on the internet just like weep with joy over that scene. Um, I think it's amazing, and you know, just as a heads up, uh, I don't know if you guys are paying attention, but there was a bit of a controversy, and that we found out that Netflix doesn't do um, description for visually impaired people, oh, yes, sir, which actually that. became a thing because you know, blind people wanted to watch the blind superhero. Shocking, um, and it turns out that they didn't have the audio description for it. Well, Netflix being cool ended up doing it and you need to listen to it it is amazing i thought it was just gonna be like some guy being like 
And now Matt Murdock walks down the hall and he punches a guy and then he punches another guy. But no, like whoever they hired to do the narration here, like actually sets up the scene and like describes the colors and like the, the feel of the atmosphere. And it's amazing. And the section that I actually watched was that fight scene. And it was incredible. You should check it out. Um, it's it's online in a handful of places, but you can also just flip it on on your Netflix when you're watching it. Um, and this this fight scene is just so cool. I I just love that he like has to lean against the wall yeah. and like pant every yeah. once in a while. It's yes. it, and then he uses the momentum of him leaning against the wall to flip. It's amazing. Yeah, it's really incredible. Yeah, it's it's definitely. I mean, a well done show. Um, and when I when I say joyless, I just mean like these characters very rarely have a good time in in this whole series. Um, there are few interspersed places every once in a while where they're kind of hanging out at the bar and they're laughing, or they might be in the office and you know they're. But on a whole, it is it it's not a criticism of the show because the storyline is dark. It is gritty. It is as visceral as it gets it is as serious as it gets in comic book stories and again that's not a criticism i i think it's great i think there's definitely a place for that it's just there there's very little levity um but it it's not really a part of this part of the story um you can see the bits and pieces where it will become maybe part of daredevil season two uh where there'll be a little bit more of it uh, but I think, you know, setting up this world and the story that they're telling here, it's just not necessarily a part of that story. And that is completely okay with me um, because, again, you know, and everybody knows it from the 602 Club, I love Man of Steel. It's not compare. It's not really a joyful movie. <laughs> it's, a, it's a serious movie right. about this this character and his growth as that character. There's some moments of fun and joy in it that I really, really like. Um but it wasn't meant to be, you know, the Donner Superman. It's meant to be and start off in a more serious place. The same way I feel like this Daredevil is very much meant to start off. In that, and that, again, it's completely okay with me. I like it. I think it's great. Um, only for me personally and, and even my wife, we were watching it together. There were some times when the violence was a lot. I'm not, I don't enjoy uber violent movies uh, most of the time. Um and I don't enjoy watching them. So there were a few scenes where somebody's bone comes yeah. sticking out of their arm or things like that. That you're just like, oh, God, I don't need to see that. The rest of it, you know, like Matt Murdock being all beat up and then, you know, sewing him up. That stuff I, I completely know is, is fake. But when you're watching somebody get their head, you know, smashing a car door and then there's blood pouring down and you kind of have seen the fact that blood spurts everywhere as the head's completely gone heads too it's it's a lot yeah so uh it is definitely this is not for children (laughs) i don't know i mean i i hear you and some of the violence does get pretty graphic but i feel like they do it very specifically um so to me it's not gratuitous but i would actually say that even during some of their dark moments there is an element of humor to a lot of it I mean, I love the fact that Claire finds Matt dying in a dumpster <laughs> and and just is like, oh, OK. And then they're like chemistry together. And then Foggy, every scene that Foggy's that in so is basically 
just delightful. And even when they're in the midst of some truly terrible stuff, especially Karen, Karen goes through the ringer here. I do think that they do find ways to, to you know, just put a little bit of humor in there. And maybe sometimes it's a, a little dark. But I, I, I truly enjoy that because I don't know that very many people can watch Unrelieved Darkness for very long. Um, if you can't, you know, put a, 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 a one-liner that's a little wry. Because I, I think Matt Murdock actually has a pretty great sense of humor, even though he barely laughs. I, I mean, he just is always doing that kind of wry smile and, and saying something that I think is super funny, even when he's, you know, in the midst of a fight scene. So I actually think it's it's a pretty funny show in a lot of ways. So real quick, guys, I'm just curious because I actually really liked uh, Charlie Cox a lot. Um, maybe Daredevil is my favorite character, but I think this guy did a really good job. And I bought him totally, like hook, line, and sinker from the start. As this blind dude, this blind lawyer, who's got this this chip on his shoulder and he's just got something to prove. And, and I've, uh, I, I we haven't really talked about it. We talked a ton about all these other characters, but I, I like him I, and I'm glad... I think it was really well cast, as far as the lead goes, anyways. I agree. I, I think he, at first, he was a little blank to me. Um, but after a while, I started to see more of what was going on under the surface, and he kind of just brought it back, which I, I really enjoyed kind of, like, uncovering that character. And I just think he's he's got he's got this quality to him that's very, it's very fun to watch. And I'm looking forward to seeing more of him and more of this show. Just acting in general, let's try to jump into that. Um, what are uh, some of the other characters that we haven't really mentioned yet? I mean, we, we barely talked about Rosaria Dawson being in it. Um, I really enjoyed the lady who is playing Wilson's love interest because she's 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 Kal-El's mom in Man of Steel. Oh, I didn't even realize from. that. Is that yeah. oh, that's crazy. Um, you know, you <laughs> well, have, we, um, we do know that you don't know actors. That's true. That's you've true. made that abundantly clear. <laughs> yeah. You have Leland, um, you have, I thought, which, wouldn't it have been kind of awesome if James Wesley had actually been the bad guy? Don't get me started. I was, my wife and I (laughs) I were like. I thought that might happen. Like, there was a time where I was like, is he about to betray him? I feel like he is. Yeah, We, we, we looked at each other and I said, I bet he's the bad guy, but he's been playing him this whole time. And he's going to turn out to be the bad guy. And then he gets offed. And I was like, what? What a waste of a character. My jaw dropped in that scene. Like, like yes. literally. And I'm like, no, 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 no. We, like, the, Daredevil has been very smart. And every time Wilson Fisk gets cut or something, they show his little Under Armour, right? So I'm like, oh, no, no, no. This guy's got Under Armour. And then all of a sudden, it's like blood comes pouring out. And I'm like, you did not just kill this character. This character is amazing. Why would you do that? And I, I, I don't know if this is a comics character or not, but man, like, just put, oh God, bring him back somehow. I don't, I don't, I don't care. Just throw some. He sort of- was great, but I think part of the reason why that death was so good is because he was great, and also because it put Karen on another level. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I, yeah, lo- was, I so I'm not. Gonna, here's where we were like, we're talking about what you thought was going to happen didn't happen. I thought that because earlier in that episode, Daredevil asks for his new armor. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was going to be your traditional comic book save the day. Daredevil was going to jump in there and it was his new armor and he was going to save her. But no, she saved herself and she did it in a believable way. He underestimated her. He put that gun down 
she reacted at just the right time and she saved herself. And that was awesome. It's an interesting scene too, right, though, because uh, he wasn't at the time actually providing direct threat against her. Uh, it was it was this this kind of manipulation, right, that we get from from the bad guys of this series. Uh, I'm mean, not that I'm saying like it's just it, it puts an extra layer, I think, on and and then and of course, for the rest of the series now, like Matt knows like something's wrong. Every time they interact after that, he's like, "You've been kind of quiet. Like, what's going on?" And she's like, "Oh no, things are just crazy, you know." But but uh, it's definitely changed her as a character, and I think that re- it's really interesting. It really makes like really yeah. I mean, she shows herself to be violent. Yeah. She shows herself to be capable of killing someone, and yeah. she was supposed to be our damsel. Right. I mean, that's exactly. how they were setting her up throughout the whole series, and then suddenly, in a believable way, it's not like she suddenly turned into a cold-eyed killer. Like, in a believable way, we see her tested, and we see what her decision was in that moment. And at this point, she makes a very conscious decision to kill where Matt Murdock has not. And yeah. I think that's really interesting. Well, I, I my wife and I, we talked about that scene, and this guy is threatening her life and everybody around her. Uh, and so I, I don't I don't think that makes her in any way some kind of like cold-blooded killer. Um, I think that it's self-defense. And hundred so percent. No, yeah, I have but no problems I, with her killing I don't think killing that, that everyone... Guy. I don't have a problem with her killing him either. She should have. She did exactly what she needed to do in that situation to get out of there. What I'm saying is... There, there is like this this decision that she makes to take another person's life, and whether that was justified or not, and I think it was totally justified. That is a huge decision for a character, and I think it really clearly shows a, a different side to her that we had not seen up to that point, and I thought yeah. it was really interesting. Yeah, it it makes her much more nuanced. It, but it is than... interesting, right? If we're t- if we're going to compare her character to basically Daredevil's entire decision arc of the entire 13 episodes. Should I kill this man because of the terrible things he could do or should I not? And essentially Wesley is basically telling her all of the terrible things he might do to her is not in any way directly threatening her life. Just saying, Hey, listen, I could kill everybody you love and I could then come after you and kill you too. Um, it's actually what I want. Right. Right. Which is, which is an interesting kind of, like you, like you had mentioned, it's a difference because Daredevil lands on one side of that, and she lands on another side of it. And maybe you know, season two, that's going to be a really interesting kind of conflict at that point. I'm yeah, super excited to um, see it, to be honest. Yeah, I I do think though that she is in more direct danger than he's. Well, I mean, he, he puts the gun down. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I I think that that he's. I don't think she's walking out of there. No matter what he says about killing everybody else, I just don't think she's going to walk out of there at all. Uh, I think he's just playing the whole thing, and and if she doesn't cooperate, he's going to shoot her. I'm with so Matthew I, on to that. Me, that's I don't, how I don't, that's I don't read it. Danger. I don't read it that way one bit. Okay. Like this is this is a guy who mm-hmm. works for the master manipulator. But I mean, yeah, that's fine. That's just my opinion. Like I thought that. It, yeah, no, that's okay. It was specifically, very specifically in that scene laid out that. No, in fact, I dare you to leave this room. I dare you to leave this room and not do what I tell you and then see what happens. It's very specifically laid out. Like, I'm going to go after everybody you've ever loved 
and then I'm going to come after you. So you either do what I want or you don't. It's the choice is yours. You get to leave this room and or you get to shoot me right now. And she chose to shoot him right now. And, and like that. I don't well, think that's he the made d- the choice to say, shoot me. I no. think he, he did. He left the gun her. on the table. He was but like, I don't think he ever thought she would pick it up. Of course, he doesn't think he would. But she, he gave her the choice. There's no doubt. But about I think that's that. the difference between her and Daredevil is nobody knows who he is. Everybody knows who she is and who she's close to. And so that's the big distinction. And again, that gets us back to why do you have a secret identity? Because you're protecting the people around you. This is why they have these secret identities and they don't tell people who they are so that you can't. The goal is to not allow people to trace you back. And whether you do that well or whether you don't do that well, that has all to do with the script and and how they write the character and all that stuff. But, you know, that's the big difference between Karen here and her decision and Daredevil and his decisions that he makes because nobody knows who he is. Um, Wesley, you know, James Wesley knows exactly who she is and who she's close to and her family and her friends. And yes, they will kill them indiscriminately. They could care less. So uh, I think that's the big difference. And it, it makes her decision whether or not to kill very different than Matt Murdock's and whether he should kill because the the reaction of him killing somebody is going to be more the, the personal guilt that comes with it than it will be the reaction of, well, now they're going to go after Foggy. Now they're going to go after Karen. Now they're going to go after so-and-so. You know that I don't want him to give his secret identity to the general public and his enemies, right? Just like... Hey, oh, no, no, no. Iron Man did it. <laughs> Iron Man did yeah. it. Come I on know. now. Actually, to be fair, Daniel, this is my favorite Iron Man moment. And it was when he's like, okay, I've got the story. No, you know what? Screw it. Screw I'm it. Iron Man. Deal with it. <laughs> that is that great. was great. Yeah. <laughs> well, one of the things that as we wrap it up here that I think is really interesting about this show and it plays into, I think, that more spiritual side of the entire show, which is... You know, there's a section of this this series by the end where Murdoch doesn't really have to do a lot because the bad guys are already killing each other off. Um, some of that is from his action, but some of it's not. And I really thought it was interesting that the show was just kind of elaborating on how evil just kind of ends up consuming itself uh, because you've created these web of lies and... You know, all these people just slowly start picking each other off because they think they're after each other, which they are. So um, I I think that makes for just a really interesting theme on top of everything else we've had. And um, I think it proves out in a lot of the things that we watch, you know, Um, evil, short-sighted, Lord of the Rings, it's only got one eye. Um, you know, all these kind of places where, where evil it ends up destroying itself because of its own actions. And I thought that was a really cool thing to watch is that really by the end of the show, it's not it, Daredevil has a lot to do with people being brought down, but evil itself has a lot to do with itself being brought down. Well, I mean, it's that whole thing where, you know, if you're you're evil, you can't trust other people. There's no true love there. There's no loyalty that sort of thing. I do love though that you use Soren as like an actual literal eye. You said short-sighted. That might be the favorite, yeah. my favorite thing you've ever done. <laughs> yeah, thanks. 
Well, I mean, it's, it it kind of is, right? No, I, I'm with you. I'm with you. You I know, just, he he, he doesn't. He like really that. doesn't. He's well, from he's now on. I'm focused. just going to describe Sauron as short short sighted all the yeah. time. Uh, uh, one, uh, you know, I don't want to hijack the, the 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 topic here, but one quick thing I wanted to mention is that now, uh, so like after Iron Man came out, we got Captain America, the first Avenger. Well, Daredevil. Is, is our first Defender, right? And we're going to have four Netflix shows, which actually I'm really excited about all of these other Netflix shows. That, you know, I Luke, cannot wait for Jessica Jones. Jessica Jones. I cannot wait for Jessica Jones. Uh, Luke Cage is going to be great. And then eventually... Iron the, Fist. Iron Fist. And then they're going to do a Defender show. And, then, and of course, this is literally years in the future. But the rumor is that well, maybe they'll pop up in Avengers 3 at some In like point. an Infinity Wars. Yeah. 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 I, I think that is really cool. Um, you know, I... I I'm not sold on the girl playing Jessica Jones. Hopefully, she'll win me over. But hey, I I liked. It. Let's get to the final thoughts. Ratings for Daredevil. Um, for you guys, what would you you know kind of rate this series, Andy? Nine out of ten. I like it. Basically, short, simple, easy to perfect, remember. Just a handful of flaws, and other than that, completely sold on it. Can't wait to see more. Yeah, I, maybe eight and a half or eight, eight and a half. It's close. It's great. It's awesome. It's totally worth watching. Uh, it's, it does have some issues, but what show doesn't? And coming out of the gate, man, uh, you know, most season twos are better than season ones. And if, if it's the case here, we, we, we definitely have a treat to look forward to, I think, for sure. I think for me, this show is a very well done it's a solid show i think for me it's 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 a seven seven and a half um out of ten it's because of some of the issues i had i don't like the villain i don't uh in the sense of i don't like who's playing him and that really weakened that part of the show for me every time he's on screen i just wasn't buying what he was doing and if i don't like the protagonist the 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 main like juxtaposition to my hero it's really going to bother me with the, with the rest of the show. Luckily, this show is so strong in the other areas that it makes up for it in a lot of ways. And so I have to really give them credit for that to be able to to overcome that. Um, it took me a while to warm up to Foggy too. Personally, I, I just it just did. Um, but he he won me over in the end, and and I liked everything else that, about the show. Um, except for, and I'll, I'll just, I will warn you guys, um, you, the listeners, the show is violent. It's very violent. And if that's not something that you like, this is going to be in there. It's, it's rated, um, MA on, for mature audiences only on Netflix. And it's definitely for only mature audiences. Uh, there is no nudity, uh, but there is cursing, uh, in here where, and, there's there's a lot of violence and it's pretty graphic. So, other than that, though, I, I think this is a great show. It's a solid show. Um, I would still and and I can say this now because I'm rewatching Arrow. Um, and I would still choose Arrow over this, and that's just because Arrow's more fun. In the end, I have more fun watching Arrow than I do this. Um. But that has again. There's that's not a criticism of this show. I like the serious nature of it. I like the visceral nature of it. I think it's fantastic. It's well done, 
and it's needed. Uh, we need different types of comic book heroes, different types of comic book series to keep things fresh. And I think they're really doing that with Daredevil. And I'm glad to say that I finally like a Marvel show. Uh, and you so, so well Agent done. Carter. I did like Agent Carter, but we still had our issues there. And I think this is their first real home run. Um, like solid. I mean, this is a solid home run. There's, there's, yeah, there's no, there's no argument about it. Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm really glad to be able to say, if you've got Netflix, you should go watch this show. If you don't have Netflix, go join for a month for free, watch the show, and then you don't ever have to, you know, be a part of Netflix again. So <laughs> Netflix is now yeah. bigger than CBS, which is that absurd. is true. I so, mean, it's not surprising. You know. so. It's awesome because Netflix gives their creators like basic freedom for total total freedom, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and and I think I think that and that's a great that's a whole conversation. But I think you can see the creative freedom that they have here. They're not constrained by much, except for maybe what Marvel kind of wanted from them. But they have total creative freedom because they can do it as violent as they want. They can have curse words if they want. They could have nudity if they wanted. So they don't they don't not constrain anything by that stuff. But they're also storytelling wise. They're trying to tell a good story with good characters. And I think um, any of the superhero shows that I have liked, um, and and like Flash and Arrow specifically. It's because they're just telling really great stories and they don't feel constrained creatively. They are just running wild with story and it's awesome. So when you do that, I think it really pays off. And I think it's paid off in spades here with Daredevil. Well, one of the things that they did is they brought some really um, powerhouse creators in. Um, I mean, you've got a, a, a lot of people on the directing, producing, writing side of these this show that are just infamous i mean steven s tonight doug petrie and drew goddard are all buffy alums so they've been doing like this kind of superhero storytelling for a long time um and so you're telling me this is you're telling me marvel at this point is just it's a good old boys club for for joss to be honest i honestly think that uh joss whedon is (laughs) has been influencing a lot of things I'm i sure. mean i'm sure <laughs> i know you don't know actors but kobe smulders who plays maria hill got that part because of allison hannigan and her friendship with joss whedon oh my god i just made the connection that allison hannigan was uh yes that's right okay <laughs> sorry yeah so i actually think you joke but i think that that's probably a big reason because look they got um jed whedon and, and uh marissa tosheron to do Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, and they got a bunch of people who did Buffy and Drew Goddard wrote with Joss Whedon with Cabin Cabin in the Woods and they got them to do Daredevil. Would Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. be better if it was on Netflix? I think so. Uh, I think Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. would be better if it was just a better written story. Okay. I think it's just plain and simple as that. I think you can do... It has nothing to do with whether it's on Netflix or it's on, you know, uh, a, a television network. Because again, Arrow and Flash are killing it. They are. They sure are. Yeah. There is no better comic book show on TV, and I mean actual TV right now than the Flash. Agreed. I agree. Um, and and so they are showing that you can do legitimate comic book on TV and do it fantastically. 
and it's because they're telling it with great story. I mean, there, there's no two bones about it. So, I mean, I absolutely agree that the writing is the main problem with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., but the CW and ABC are totally different networks. And ABC, right out the gate, wanted a Monster of the Week format for that show. And that was the first, what, 10, 12 episodes of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. was really boring stories where they went to collect some superhero that's when that's some, when I quit, and I haven't exactly. Um, and <laughs> that's a very network-driven decision. Um, so I, I agree totally that I, I doubt that I doubt that Agents of Shield would be like one million times better, totally different story if it was on Netflix. But I do think they would have had a little more freedom to play with their format. Well, and there you go. I mean. Studios, let your creatives be creative and create great shows. Wouldn't it be lovely if network executives would just, you know, pay the bills and go away? (laughs) And we didn't even get to talk about my favorite character, which was Claire Temple. We need more time. You need a two-hour 602. Yeah, Claire, um, you know, just quickly, I feel like she's an underserved character. I agree with you, which made me sad because I wanted to see more of her, and I really love Rosario Dawson. And oh, yeah. oh I do too. She's fantastic. <laughs> you uh, actually did. Gets... You really just look it up, Daniel. I don't remember. I didn't remember her character's name. So, <laughs> <laughs> I actually, as soon as you said Rosario Dawson, I was like, yeah, I do actually know that one. I know that one. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you should. She's that was she's no great, and um, they had yeah. great chemistry. They yeah. did. Yeah, they do. They did. It's just disappointing that. Uh, uh, she got very little to do. Hopefully that will be fixed in season two. Although I will say that as much as I wanted to see her more, I did really like the fact that, and this is again something that, you know, you are expecting it and it didn't happen, is that she totally was like, look, I really like you, but uh, yeah, you're you're not honest with me and you're super dangerous and I can't be with you because of that. And then she left and I was like, good for you. I mean, if all of the comic book love interests did that, none of our superheroes would have girlfriends. I'll be around. Or boyfriends need. if they were, you know, girl heroes. I mean, so it goes. Yeah, both but ways. they don't have that same type of uh, dynamic usually. Oh, look who's being sexist now! No, I'm saying <laughs> we'll find out I'm when su- we'll find out when Supergirl comes out, won't we? Yes, there you see, go. There if, you go. If, we'll if, find out. Here, when Matthew. Here's this: If Supergirl comes out and she has a male love interest who says, oh, you're too dangerous for me. Uh, and then and then Supergirl says, I have to protect you. It's so important that I protect you. And I'm not going to tell you all of my feelings and what I'm doing because I have to protect you. Then I'll eat my words. But I guarantee you it won't happen. That's true. There will be there a- will be no I guarantee there will be no Iris character on the Supergirl TV show, that's for sure. Yeah, because probably, they don't see Supergirl as needing to protect her boyfriend. Of course. Do they? No. I would doubt it, but you know, well, all of, probably does all need of to our male superheroes have to protect their female love interests, and um, I just, I just ask, really ask Spider Man how that works out for him. Yeah, I don't. I, well, okay, and I. Oh no! I, I got think, Matthew on another tangent. We're gonna be here for another twenty minutes. <laughs> I don't think that that is. Uh, I don't think that that's wrong to be. I don't think that's disrespectful to the woman. I don't think it's being any of those things. Um, you know, I think there is a, a note of chivalry in there and that shouldn't be dead and, and women should feel respected for being like, I, I God, I care about you. I don't want you dead. We've already seen in this show that Karen 
has that decision laid in front of her. She, Everybody in her life is known by these people. And what will happen to them if, you know, she isn't forced to basically kill them prote- to protect them all. This is, this is, again, it's why the superheroes do this. They don't want to be forced to be in a position to have to go beyond their own morality, which is they don't usually want to be the person who has to kill somebody to protect their secret. And so I can completely understand why that happens and again it's why i like you know we're gonna get there we're gonna get there with flash i think that iris will know by the end of the season kill her i want off. iris to fall into the ocean kill her off she's useless she's the worst character ever it's not gonna happen because uh she is the love interest her and for, laurel can go off you know and, and so they can, they can get no but and, see laurel they've done better with laurel oh, stop now it that she's no, not, they haven't. no she's still yes a, they have now that she's not the obligatory <laughs> love interest that they keep trying to shove down our throats she's actually a lot more interesting uh, and i i took me a long time two seasons to be precise but i'm finally on board with laurel being on the show she's a pale imitation of her sister and we all know it well guys i'm gonna say it has been fun talking about <laughs> daredevil and all of the other things here. But as you can tell, we are having a blast on the 602 Club just getting to talk about all these geeky things. And, and I just have to say, it there are a plethora. I mean, it's like pure geek joy these days. All of this. Can you imagine that we're getting all this yeah. stuff? We're getting Daredevil. We're getting Superman going against Batman. We're getting new Star Wars. I mean, I, who would have thought? And it's just fantastic that we have years and years of enjoyable things to talk about because of what's happening. And that's what's really exciting for me. And I hope that you guys just enjoy our conversations. We have a blast doing it together. um, And we have a passion for it. We just enjoy talking about it, whether we're uh, disagreeing or not. I think even here when we disagreed, we did it very respectfully. And that's what we want to do is we want to bring you that passionate conversation, um, the joy that we have for things, and have conversation that leads to disagreement, but leave the bar friends. And (laughs) that's what we do here at the 602. Wouldn't it be boring if we always agreed? It really would. Yeah, we, we could it'd be the worst show ever. We could just go around in a circle ever. and be like, yes, Matthew, That I is great. That's that's great. <laughs> Let's move on to the next part. Oh, that's good, too. Yeah. yeah right. You oh, thought yeah. that was awesome? Oh. I thought that was you awesome. You like that? <laughs> well, here is a quick look at some of the other things you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.fm, Standard Orbit. <laughs> not an overstatement and he had said in your introduction that without without him and his hand guiding all of this then then it's unlikely that two would have been what it was and if it had not been successful then it, it you know it probably would have meant the end of star trek at that point earl gray like i'm expecting ricardo martavon to like walk around the corner and be like captain picard welcome this is rise of five the shuttlecraft the shuttlecraft the orb Curzon is involved with the Kittimer Accords. Spock is at Kittimer when those are being talked about, so you would think they would have run into each other They probably hung out in the bar together. To the journey! One guy's like, why don't we just write better stories for Wesley? And then the lead writer's like, you out now! (laughs) The ready room. The movie series would not have relaunched and, and become what it was if not for the amazing bounce of 
the Wrath of Khan. The Wrath of Khan was to Star Trek the same thing that uh, the Best of Both Worlds was to Next Generation. Commentary, Trek Stars. It's also the end of a character and a thing that is really about how uh, death is just a part of life. And that while there's an end, it doesn't mean that it's the end. Literary Treks. Well, I've always liked the... Uh, I like that episode for... I mean, it's one of the most derided of the of the original series episodes, but yet I always it has a place in my heart for some reason. I've always enjoyed watching mm-hmm. it over. So um, I wanted to do something with those guys, the Scalbians. The 602 Club. Like, I, I could kind of dismiss droids in distress and fight or flight and everything like that and i was just kind of watching the background but all of a sudden i started catching myself like stopping working and and just focusing on watching and uh, and so it just got better and better and better and i think i was hooked by episode four breaking rings that's when i was like okay i like this show this is good warp five in the history of axanar Alec Peters and Christian Gossett wrote a section of the history dealing with the Arcanus campaign. And in the Arcanus campaign, a majority of Starfleet ships were destroyed. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. Guys, check out these shows and find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, do us a quick favor and hit that subscribe button. It really helps us out greatly. If you do enjoy the show, you enjoy um, our conversations, one of the best ways to help us out with that and sharing it with others is that subscribe button. It helps us rise in those iTunes rankings, as do the star ratings and reviews. I love hearing your passion for this show and the things that we talk about through those star ratings and reviews. Some of the people have actually just found the show through our conversations like Man of Steel, where they said they enjoyed the conversation. They loved that we had respectful disagreements. Daniel, you were on that show. We still came away friends. I still have you back to the 602. There I am. Because it it makes for great conversation. If you're not an Apple user, you can get our shows on Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone. And, of course, you can stream and download the MP3 files from our website. Grab that RSS link as well. Another way that you can help keep all of our shows coming to each week is to become a patron of the network on Patreon. We are a listener-supported network, and we have a real passion for bringing you the best Star Trek podcasts and beyond. And we love getting to share that with you, but we need your help to do that. And you can go to patreon.com slash trekfm and you'll find all the goals and milestone contribution levels we have there. We really appreciate your support. Thank you to all of you who have joined us. And again, you'll find all the details on patreon.com slash trekfm. I want to say a special thanks to my associate producers, Norman Lau, for his support of the network and the 602. He's been with me from the very start here. His Twitter account is at Norman Lau. He's a big supporter of the Star Trek Axonar project. can be found on the official Facebook page as well as the Babel Conference. And last but not least, he's a big supporter of the network on Patreon. And he is the host of Warp 5. And of course, Ken Tripp. I want to thank him for his support and being an associate producer here on the 602. If you'd like to contact us, that would be fantastic. Uh, we'd love to have some contact from you, whether it's on the website at trek.fm slash contact, Twitter at trek.fm, Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm, and of course there's the Babel Conference, which is our listeners-only discussion group. If you enjoy all the conversation we have here like in the 602 or on any of other shows, you can join us in the Babel Conference. Just type the Babel Conference in the search field on Facebook or go to the website at trek.fm and click Discussion 
on the menu bar. Now, guys, thank you so much for being on the show today. Andy, tell everybody where they can find you online. Uh, Well, you can uh, watch my live tweeting of my first time watching Star Trek at at First Time Trek. I just finished The Wrath of Khan, which was excellent, and I cried a lot. Uh, You can also... As you should. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I'm pretty sure the last 15 minutes was just me brokenly sobbing, so there's that. Um, And then I also have my archive project on Tumblr, firsttimetrack.tumblr.com. And I'm also on the podcast Women at Warp, in which four women talk about Star Trek. And Daniel, where can we find you online? They can find me here on the network, uh, on Trek FM, on Earl Grey with my co-hosts, Darren and Philip, where we talk TNG all the time. It's fantastic, and you can uh, take a listen. Uh, and they can also find me on Twitter, and my handle is uh, OneUpDan. That's the number one, not the word. Well, guys, of course, you can find me on Twitter at MattRushing02. You can also find me doing The Orb with Christopher Jones, where we talk exclusively about Deep Space Nine all the time. You can also find me doing Literary Treks, where we talk about the books and the comics of Star Trek. And I also have my own personal blog at 42lifeinbetween.wordpress.com. Well, thank you so much for joining us, and y'all come back now, you hear? Oh, 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 oh,